If I'm going to be honest, I'm having a hard time today for a couple of reasons. I love my church, and I've been here for a while now, a decade now, and I'm more convinced now than ever before that Calvary is a special place, the place that I always want to call my church home. Jesus is worshipped and elevated here. The Holy Spirit is welcomed and celebrated here. Yes, those are the first two foundational things about any good church. But what makes Calvary different from other churches are the people. We have an amazing family here at Calvary. I know I've said it before, but, but what shows me how different our church is, is the greeting time. In most churches, greeting times are becoming a, things, a thing of the past because they're uncomfortable. In most churches, you kind of stand still in your pew and you look to the left and you look to the right and you shake a hand or two with people whose names you may or may not know. And then after a moment, it's over. But that, that's not what greeting time at Calvary is like. Here, people get out into the aisles. I watched some of you go from the very back of the sanctuary, make your way down one aisle around the front and up the back again, trying to greet and shake everyone's hand, hug as many as you can, to just fellowship together. It's an incredible thing. It's one of the most powerful pictures of Christian fellowship that I've ever seen, and it happens here every single week. And you can just feel the Holy Spirit's presence in the midst of it. And it always, always warms my heart. And here we are. I'm preaching this morning to a nearly empty sanctuary. And I'm having a hard time. Since I came back to Calvary in 2010, this is the longest I've gone without being able to be with my church family. Yes, we're able to live stream and I'm thankful. Yes, we're able to text and call one another or video chat, and I'm thankful for that too. But it isn't the same, and I'm having a hard time with it. I think a lot of us are. And I know that this isn't just connected to church. People are stuck in their homes, chased there by this sickness. For many of us, every single part of our lives are affected. Even those moments that are most vital most precious in our lives are touched by this pandemic. Graduations, dances, weddings, funerals. I performed a funeral this past week for a saint who should have had a large gathering, a family of those who knew and loved her. Instead, there were ten of us, and we were not even able to embrace to physically comfort one another. I'm having a hard time. There's part of me that connected more deeply with Good Friday this year than ever before. This spiritual and emotional weight that just kind of hangs around us right now. And as Jesus was shut up inside of a tomb for days, our whole community has been shut away just driving to church this morning along easter or along empty roads on easter morning felt so very wrong 
were separated, isolated, confined, quarantined, shut away as though in a tomb. And then we have this story, the promise and glory of the resurrection of Easter. It's the story that promises us that there will always be a light at the end of the darkness, that every confinement and every sickness has an end date, that there is a hope and a life and a joy and a peace that surpass any kind of earthly understanding that can be ours here and now, that come to us in the middle of the hardest and most hopeless of times and circumstances and breathe life into our weary hearts. And then not only that, Easter brings with it the promise of change, of growth, of transformation, of being able to become more than we currently are. All of that is here in the story of the resurrection, if you learn to see it. And the more I've dwelt on Luke 24 this week, the more comforting it has been. If I'm being honest, I can tell you that I'm having a hard time but I am not without hope. I have this hope, this incredible hope that is keeping me going. And if you don't see how the resurrection can provide that for you too, I'd like to take a minute and share it with you. You see, way back, way back in Genesis chapters 12 and 15, God comes to Abram and he says, you see this world, this broken and fallen world, I know that it's not right, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to make it new again. I'm going to make it new again, and I'm going to get rid of all these things, injustice and oppression and disease and death. I'm going to renew all of it once and for all. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and there will be no more tears or suffering or pain. And then it goes from Abraham to the law. And the law is the shadow of the things to come. God says in the law, he says, this is how I've designed things to work. This is how I've, I've designed it to work. Live in accordance with how it's supposed to be. And although we often think of the law as a bad thing, that's not how they thought of it in the Old Testament. And that's why David is able to say, God, thank you for your law. I delight and meditate on your law day and night. This law, though, was never meant to accomplish everything that God had promised to Abraham. It just wasn't meant to do it. It was a covenant, a relationship between a gracious God and his chosen people that was meant to be a flashlight in the darkness. That's what the law was meant to be, a flashlight in the darkness. Now it's true that with a flashlight you can see, but if you've ever been alone in the dark with only a flashlight, one of the things you know is that it doesn't let you see enough. And the thing about having a flashlight in the dark is that it, it draws all the things that are hiding in the dark to you. You see, the law made it so that sin could be better understood, better seen than ever before. The evil would be easier to see 
than ever before. That human sinfulness would be more clearly understood than ever before. And while Israel was called to be the people through whom God would bring light into the world, they could not do it. The law could not do it. It was never intended to because it was always a flashlight pointing forward to something more, something better, something brighter. The flashlight was only there to help them recognize the sun. And this is what all the prophets were talking about. They were flashlights too, pointing forward to the time when God's world would be made new again. When death and all of its henchmen would be lured into one place and beaten once and for all. They were pointing forward to the day when the sun would rise. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And he's able to do what Israel could not. He shows through teaching after teaching and miracle after miracle what it looks like to live a life free of the grip of death and all of its henchmen. And then he did it. He did what Israel could never do. He did what the law was never meant to do. You see, corruption and oppression and decay and sin and death, they'd all been lured into one place and used to kill Jesus. The evil one wielded them like a weapon to kill the Son of God. And he allowed them to. God the Son, Jesus of Nazareth, he allowed death and all of its henchmen to grab hold of him and drag him under. And his resurrection was the sign and the proof that they weren't strong enough. He defeated them. In the battle between God and death, God shows us everything that we need to know. That the giver of life is greater than death. That the Holy One is infinitely stronger than the evil one. That there is no thing, not even death itself, that can hold God back. And the life of new creation came bursting forth into the world and the stone was flung from the tomb and Jesus stepped forth. And after the resurrection, his followers carried the message. Everything's being made new. Freedom is here. What was promised to Abraham, what was shown to us by the law, what was pointed toward by the prophets has come. And the power of Jesus' resurrection is in us. I need you to hear that. The power of the resurrection is in us. That's what Paul means when he says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. That power released by the resurrection of Jesus is in you and me. And that does so many things. When we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and the power of his resurrection becomes available to us, as well, when we are saved from sin and death and receive His Holy Spirit, 
We're saved to eternal life, to a forever life with him. And that's not all. It's amazing to think that there's more than just the promise of forgiveness and eternal life, but there is. That's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 and 18. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God's redeeming work is still happening today. It's still happening. The victory is still being implemented. And the Lord wants to use us to do it. And it's when we get caught up in that power, in the work of the Holy Spirit, that we change, that we're transformed, that we're made more like Him. As we live out our calling to be ministers of reconciliation, he transforms us to be more like him. Sometimes I'm asked as a pastor, why am I still struggling in the same way I was before? Or, I've been a Christian for 25 years, why am I not seeing God change my heart? This is why I want so badly for us to be men and women of Scripture because the Bible actually gives us these answers. It actually speaks to these things. It's by participating in the transforming work of the Spirit, enabled by the resurrection of Jesus, that that causes us to be made new like Him. So what does the resurrection bring? It brings freedom. Freedom from death. Freedom from the grip of sin. Freedom to become who God has always wanted you to be. Now you might ask, what's the difference between someone who has this freedom and someone who doesn't? Well, just imagine that you've always lived in quarantine. It might already feel that way to some of you now as you look around and realize that no one in your family has gotten dressed or showered or anything since quarantine began. Y'all crazy. But I know that some of you are living that life right now and you do you. But, But imagine that the people you're in the house with, you've always been in the house with. Just imagine, that's it. You've never known what it's like to go to a birthday party to a ball game, to a concert, to have friends over, to be able to get out of the house for a while and just spend time with not the people in your house. Imagine you didn't know the joy of Christian fellowship that we have every single week here where we walk down the aisle of our sanctuary and joyfully greet each other. Imagine how dim that life would be. Imagine how sad, how incomplete. Just imagine if the way we're living now was the only life you ever knew. And now, imagine that you're free. Imagine the joy of being able to step out into the sunlight and to enjoy all the things that have been kept from you. That's what the freedom of belonging to the resurrected Jesus is like. 
You see, right now we're all inside because of this virus. But one day there will be a vaccine. Just imagine that the quarantine was absolute. You couldn't leave the house until you received the vaccine. Now once the vaccine was available, there'd still need to be people to administer it. People who would receive it and then go out and give it to other people. That's what the resurrection is like. Once it happens in you and to you, the power of it, the Holy Spirit, calls you to work to bring it about in other people as well. Now, belonging to Jesus and knowing the power of his resurrection doesn't mean that all of death's henchmen lose their influence in the world. What it means, though, is this. Death and all of its henchmen are helpless to ever separate us from God. But things might still be difficult. I heard a prestigious doctor say that even after shelter-in-place ends, group meetings like religious services might have to be delayed for 12 to 18 months. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I can tell you that hearing it was a shot in the gut. 12 to 18 months without the church being able to meet together. I don't even know how to process something like that. When I wonder how we're supposed to deal with something that big, when I wonder about how many churches will close because they can't afford to both be open and not really be open for so long, when I wonder about whether or not the Calvary family will still be the Calvary family after so long of not meeting together, I feel overwhelmed. But then I remember the resurrection. I remember that Jesus is alive. I remember that we don't have to know how we're going to deal with every hard thing that's coming. We just have to follow Him one step at a time. One step at a time. I imagine that all of us during this time are going to have periods of hopelessness. I imagine that if this lasts for much longer, many of us are going to struggle with how am I supposed to live or be or do? How am I supposed to provide? How am I supposed to go forward? In those moments when your day is hard, when you can't find the energy to do what you need to do, when you you are overwhelmed with stress or fatigue or depression or anxiety, I want to encourage you to hold on to that idea. Just follow Jesus one step at a time. And so you ask him in those moments, what's next? What's the next thing you want me to do? And you do it. And when it's done, you ask him again, Lord, what's the next thing you want me to do? And over and over again, you put one foot in front of the other and you can follow Jesus through the hardest, harshest of times. I remember the resurrection. I remember that we're called even now to let that resurrection power, that transforming work of the Holy Spirit work in and through us as we love our families, as we care for others without endangering them. 
as we weather through these difficult times. And I am confident that we will weather through everything being sent at us. Because I believe that the sun has risen. We do not live in the darkness, but in the light. And we can trust Him, Jesus Christ, the risen one, to lead us through whatever comes. He is risen. Pray with me. Father God, you are amazing. And we love you. And we come before you today uncertain. Some of us at this point, I think, are still doing well. Some of us are already struggling. Lord, wherever we are, help us. Give us the strength, the faith, the courage that we need to follow you one step at a time. Help us to remember, Lord, that we follow the one who has risen from the dead, who has overcome death and all of its henchmen, and that that power, your power, is within us as well, that the Holy Spirit is ours. Lord, and we can follow you anywhere because you will give us what we need to do it. This isn't about us living a difficulty-free life. This isn't about us always feeling at our best, but this is about us having access to you and the ability to come to you in our lowest worst moments and say, Lord, help me and know and trust that you will give us the strength we need to take that next step, to do that next thing that you've asked of us. And Lord, the promise here is that that power will never run out. Whatever the, the, our lives look like for the next several weeks, or months, we know that we can trust you because you, Lord, are greater than all. You, Lord, have overcome death. You, Lord, have invited us in to your life, the powerful, wonderful life of the Son. And we praise you for that. We pray these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.